0: Father, as we open your word tonight, we pray that you would speak to us in such a powerful way that we would literally change our path and direction in life and start walking in the ways of you like never before. Change our heart, O God. Make us ever new. Search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Bless our time together. Please, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 40. Ezekiel chapter 40. As you know, we have been going through the book of Ezekiel. And a random book it is, that's for sure. A different book than we're used to in the Old Testament telling stories. Um, We see the crazy going down. Visions and judgment and slavery bondage for the babylonians man i'm gonna give you a handout tonight um and i don't know if there's I, I'm, I don't think there's enough for everyone so maybe you can share with the person next to you you probably if you want to take it home you can it's just a uh, a quick sketch of what we're going to be looking at tonight but um yeah I'm just take one and pass it brian can you thank you Yeah, maybe take one try and share with the person next to you or uh the people around you, so that everybody can take a look and see. But Ezekiel chapter 40 is a text. Has everyone got one? You see there a map of the temple, diagram of the temple, the blueprints of a temple. And that's exactly what we're looking at tonight. Um, This chapter is a very interesting, different chapter. Um, When I saw it and I knew I had to teach it. I was thinking to myself, oh, great. What are we going to pull out of this? We've got lots of measurements, if you haven't noticed already. But nonetheless, the Lord will do great things. Ezekiel uh, chapters 1 through 24, it's uh, Israel's history of being removed from the land of Israel. Taken into slavery, the first 24 chapters being pulled out chapters 25 through 32 is God's judgment against other nations you remember that I remember having to teach some crazy judgment passage in here and I felt like I just dropped the bomb everybody was kind of scared when they left Um, I think it was good for my soul and yours too chapter 33 is the call to repentance last week you guys looked at the devil and Satan and his role Isn't that crazy to think that there are actually demons and principalities and fallen angels here in this world that actually rule over cities? wonder where the demon of Riverside is, where he lives, where he stays. Interesting. One that reigns over is very powerful and alive. The greatest enemy in our lives is not the devil. It's you. It's me. It is the flesh that we fight against day in and day out. It is the thing that torments us day and night, is it not? For God has given us a way of escape every single time we're tempted, but it is us who continues to give in. The enemy is no big deal. He's like a gnat sitting over there struggling to fly away as God walks up and just says... Oops, and just flicks him away. No big deal. We will look at tonight. You're just going to have to see it, but we will look at tonight Ezekiel getting a vision from God about the temple that will come in the future. What future, Josh? Our future. Yes. The future to come. There have been, I would say, Well, there's, two, there's been two temples since then. Since when? Since the tabernacle. Back in 1500 BC, we see Moses coming down from the mountain with the instruction to do what? Build the tabernacle. What's that? It's a tent. And it was the coolest thing. When I lived in Israel, I actually got to go down south and down in uh, Elot in southern Israel. There is a place there that they have erected a tabernacle, and you can walk in and see it. it's so cool. They got the—it's uh it's the same thing that Moses would have had back in the day. What they'd carried around, they actually carried around this tabernacle, this tent, and it's where God would meet with the priests. It's where God would meet the people, and they met with God in this tent for over five hundred years. But around one thousand BC, do you remember King David? King David said, what is this that God is dwelling in a tent? This is ridiculous. How can the creator of the universe, how can we give him this tent to come down and meet us in? That's what God had given instruction for. David said, hey, we should build a temple. That's where we will meet God. And God said to David, thank you for wanting to build a temple, but you will not build it because you have blood on your hands. You have killed many men. You're a warrior. But your son will build it. So what David did is he planned out everything there was to plan out for the temple. And when his son grew up and took over the kingdom, Solomon, you know him well, when he took over, he built the temple. And that temple was around uh, for approximately another 500 years. And I'm sorry, it wasn't around for that long. It was around for a very short time, actually, because the Babylonians came in and dominated the thing. They smashed it down. And about 500 years later, from when, this, when Solomon built the temple, Zerubbabel came in and re- helped the Jews rebuild the temple as they were able to come back from Babylon, this slavery that they were in, which we're reading about right now in Ezekiel. They were in slavery. So another temple will be built, Zerubbabel's temple. And what happens is about another 500 years after that, when Jesus comes on the scene, there's a man named Herod who comes on the picture. And what happens? Herod comes in and kind of rebuilds the temple, makes everything very clean and nice and all the above. And what happens in 70 AD? You know. The Romans come in and burn the thing to the ground. Remember, all the gold seeps in, and Jesus said, that temple, every single stone will be broken off another. And that's exactly what happened. The Romans broke off the stones. Why? To get to the gold that seeped down into the bottom of the temple. And so there is no temple now. There is a temple mount in Israel, but for almost, for yeah, 2,000 years, right around there, there has been no temple, no sacrifice. I've been on the Temple Mount. It is incredible. Do you know what sits on the Temple Mount right now? The mo- one of the most holy places that the Muslims have. Yeah, on the Temple Mount where the Jews had their temple. One of the most holy places, the Dome of the Rock, sits on the Temple Mount where the Jews' temple are supposed to be. Hey, no wonder they're at each other's throats, huh? But there's coming a time, yes, there will be two more temples. Huh? Two more. Number one, the Antichrist, spoken about in Revelation chapter 11, I believe. Where he will help the Jews here in the near future. This is incredible. This is important. He will actually help the Jews rebuild their temple. Do you know that there are Jews right now in Israel? Right now, today. What's the date today? July 7th? July 7th. There are Jews today, July seventh, two thousand nine, who are desiring so badly to build the temple right now. They want to get on that temple mount. They want to build that temple today. They would love to start right now today and build that thing. They have all of the pieces that they need. I remember seeing a giant golden menorah. What is that? That's the seven candlestick. That you've probably seen it. The Jews have it on all their symbols. The menorah. They have. They have all the pieces ready for this temple to be built and they're waiting for someone to rise up and help them build that thing day in and day out they wait isn't it amazing that we are standing in the day when the temple could be built do you know what that means that means that antichrist is on the scene could be very near right around the corner and we know in this temple when this temple comes there will be three and a half years of peace and that the Antichrist, this man... Who is Antichrist? Why do I keep saying this? This is a man who is completely against God and actually as the devil in him. He is the devil incarnate. And he will bring peace to the entire world. Did you know that? Listen to this. This is important. Just because don't forget these words because when it starts to happen, think back on the things that I say to you today. There will be peace all the way around the world. The whole world peace. Number two, there will be a one world money. Currency. You won't need dollar bills anymore. You won't need change anymore. Just be a scan of the hand or a scan of the forehead. But he will help the Jews rebuild the temple. So when you see a man helping the Jews to rebuild the temple, watch close. When you see a man trying to bring world peace, watch closely. That temple will be erected, but what will happen is I'm not sure exactly what will happen to the temple. Maybe it will be knocked down. They're after the tribulation period in some way. But after this crazy time of Antichrist and and all of that, there will be one more temple that is built, and it is the temple that Jesus Christ will actually reign in here on earth. Did you know that? In Jerusalem, there will be a temple built, and Jesus Christ, our king, will sit in that temple, and we will be there with him. And this is the temple we are reading about today. That's why I lay a foundation of all the different temples from the beginning to now, what will happen and what it will look like. And so this is the vision. Ezekiel is getting a vision from God of what the temple will look like after all of these crazy events that will happen in the future, the end times. After that, we will stand there in Jerusalem with Jesus in that temple. This is a temple. Isn't that crazy to think? not that crazy? You're all bummed out because you haven't got to go to Israel yet. Don't worry, you're going to be there, okay? I just want to see the place. Don't worry, you will. And Jesus will give you a tour, okay? Now, it's very mystical and crazy to even say things like this, is it not? Me trying to speak about the future? I can't be dogmatic about these things, but these are the things that the scriptures point to. And so we want to be very clear about the things that the Lord is pointing to, trying to point us to. and so we're in Ezekiel chapter forty, and we're going to dive right in. We're back where we're all the way back before um, 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 um oh, Solomon's temple has been built and destroyed by the Babylonians, and the Jews are in captivity, and here comes the revelation. I'm sorry, they're being set free. they've been yes. There has been restoration to Israel. They've come back, and now we are reading about the vision of Ezekiel. Okay, look at verse one of Ezekiel chapter forty. It says, "In the five and twentieth year of our capt- captivity, or twenty-fifth year, in the beginning of the year, in the tenth, in the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after that, the city was smitten, and the." Self-same day the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me thither. What are these days? This is actually the month of Nisan, I believe, which is the, and the first day of that is Passover. I'm sorry, the tenth day, it says. Yes. Does it say tenth day? The tenth day of the month is the beginning of Passover. So this is a day in the Jews, Passover is a time when they remember when they were brought out of Egypt. They were set free. And so here they are celebrating. And all of a sudden, what happens? The hand of the Lord comes upon Ezekiel, the prophet. And the Lord tells him to listen and takes him up on a high mountain and shows him this vision. Wouldn't that be incredible? The Lord comes over, puts his hand upon you and says, come with me to this mountain. I'm going to show you the crazy. Without vision, my people perish. God continued to bring vision to his people year after year after year if they were willing. And did you know that any man or woman in this room who is willing to receive vision from God, God will give that to you. He will speak to your heart. He will open your eyes. You cry out to him, God, give me direction. Show me what I'm supposed to be doing in life. You know that you're all called to something. Look at what Ezekiel's called to, to lead the nation of Israel. What a duty, huh? What are you called to? Well, I'm not a prophet. You are a child of God. God has a plan for your life. This is not the plan for your life, I guarantee it. For you to just go to school, get your degree, make money, have a family, get a house, buy your cars and your toys, have grandkids, hang out, retire, and then die. That is not the plan for your life. That may be part of the plan. What a terrible way to live if you live for you all the days of your life. You have no vision. You walk around day in and day out living for you. Jesus says if you live for you, you will what? You will lose your life. But if you live for me, you will find life. You will have everything you need. What does that look like day in and day out for you? Please think about it. What is your vision for tomorrow? What are you doing? What are you called to? Do you have just another day planned out for you? Another day of vision for you? Listen, if you live that day tomorrow for you and you die tomorrow night, you will not be happy that you did. You'll be wishing and thinking, wondering, why was I so selfish? God had given me life. He'd given me the gospel. The message that changes lives. I kept it all to myself. If you had the cure for cancer, would you tell someone? If you had the cure for AIDS, would you keep it to yourself? You have the cure for this life. You have the cure for death. Shame on us if we hold it back. Shame on us if we stay quiet and live for us. You will regret it all the days of your life. Without vision, my people perish. God is giving fresh vision to Ezekiel. and Praise God for that. God has come here to give you fresh vision tonight. I believe you've come here to receive that, so please listen. It says, as he brought him up, he put his hand upon him. In verse 2, in the vision of God brought he me into the land of Israel and set me upon a very high mountain. Okay, so where did he bring him to? Israel. Amazing. God set him on a high mountain in Israel. By which was the frame of the city on the south. And he brought me thither, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like that appearance of brass. Okay. Okay. So there's a man standing there on this hill. God had taken him to this place, and there's a man standing there who looked like brass. He was shining. It was an angel. We know in Ezekiel chapter 44, it actually says that he calls the, this angel or this man Lord. And so the only conclusion is that, he must be the angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? I believe a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. A picture of the king. The angel of the Lord is only the only angel that could be worshipped in any way, shape, or form because it is the angel of the Lord. It is not just any. You see Joshua bow the knee. Do you remember? When the angel rolls up on him. I love that story. When an angel comes here to Ezekiel, shining like brass. And it's interesting that angels come in the form of men many times, huh? Most of the time when they are seen, they look like a man. Interesting. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says, be careful that that you're on guard that because you might be entertaining angels. Meaning what? You could be out there just pumping gas one day. An angel walk up to you. I remember uh, a pastor was telling me about this time he was pumping gas and he didn't want to talk to the homeless man walking up to him. So he kind of turned the other way. Kind of acting like he didn't see him. And sure, comes right around and makes eye contact. Hey, c- can you help me out, you know, with some, some change? He's like, oh, jeez, man. He's like, no, I'm not going to give you change. But, you know, I'll buy you something to eat. You know, fed up. Just wanted to get out of there. And so he goes in. He buys him something. He comes back out and he hands it to the guy. And... Uh, the guy said something to him along the lines of, you know, something godly. And the pastor looked at him after he had said it and just received it. Turned around, started walking back to his car, turned back around, the guy was gone. And he's sitting there baffled and bummed and struck to the core. Thinking about that scripture that had come to him, the one that he knows. Knowing that you could be entertaining angels, you got to... Understand that they're God's messengers walking around this earth doing the work of God. Probably giving opportunity for you to bless God and minister. We need to be on guard. They do come in the form of men many times. You never know. That would be crazy. I wonder. I wonder. This angel was standing there whose appearance was like brass. Brass. And it says there in verse 3, with a line of flax in his hand and with a measuring reed, he stood at the gate. You see that? He had what? The line of a flax. What's that? This was like the long measuring stick. Okay? And the reed was like the short measuring stick. That's just the way it works here in this chapter. I don't have any other specifics than that. The flax is the long measuring stick. The reed is the small measuring stick. Okay? That's what it seems like. That's it. In verse 4, And the man said unto me, Son of man, behold, with thine eyes, this is important, listen to this, the angel says, Son of man, behold, with thine eyes, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and set your heart upon all that I shall show you. Did you hear that? Eyes, ears, and heart on all that I'm about to show you. For to the intent that I might show them unto thee art thou brought here. Declare all that I show you to the house of Israel. Okay, so the angel says to him, listen up, Ezekiel, boy, listen to me. Keep your eyes on me. Keep your ears focused and get your heart turned. Listen to all that I tell you. Because what I'm about to tell you, you are to tell to the children of Israel. What a word, huh? What if I come here tonight saying, hey, get your eyes up here. Focused. Get your ears turned this direction. Get your heart focused on the things of God. Because what I'm going to tell you, you need to tell to someone else. Hey, many times we walk into a study and our eyes are wandering. And many times our ears are in other places. Many times our hearts are far from God. Listen, family, this is important. If you've come here tonight and your heart is not in this, you're wasting your time. I don't need more people here in this coffee shop. It's taking up space. There are people who would like to sit down on chairs. But if you come here for reasons not to have your heart changed and focused on the things of God. You're really wasting your time. You're really helping to harden your own heart even more. Did you know that? Because as I speak to you and it just bounces off your heart and you're just like, oh, another message, I heard this. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. When I walk out of here, I'm not going to change. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. I'm not really ready to make radical changes in my life. You are wasting your time here. And you are actually hardening your heart. If you hear the word of the Lord, receive it and then share it with others around you. With your eyes, with your ears, and with your heart, receive all that is said to you tonight. And then when you receive it, go and share it with someone. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? Don't hear only, but do. If you would do great things would happen in your life, but because you don't, things will never change. There are many Christians who have lots of excuses. I was raised this way. Boo-hoo. This happened to me when I was young. Okay. I'm going through this situation right now. All right. Go talk to Job. Go talk to Jesus. Go talk to the men in the Bible who everything was stripped from them even though they were faithful and righteous in all their ways. I'm telling you tonight that you should never come into a Bible study ever again unless you have ears and eyes and hearts to hear what God would say to you. Don't ruin yourself. If you're not ready to receive a message, then don't do it. If you're not ready to open the word, don't force yourself. You're heaping coals on your head. You're becoming bitter to the things of God. Don't become legalistic in your walk. Don't bow down if you don't want to. Walk in the ways that you desire. If you desire to do these things, then do them with all your heart. Yeah, I wake up in the morning and I my flesh doesn't want to, but my spirit desires it. And so I'm going. And I'm going to receive. And I'm going to walk close to God. But if your heart is not in it, you're wasting your time. You've got to change your mind. You've got to change your heart. You've got to get your eyes and ears focused on the things of God every time you enter into worship. Every time you hear the word of God. When you walk out of these doors, you've got to be listening to the voice of God. You can listen all you want here. Look at, I'm talking right now. You hear this? You hear these words? I'm talking. There's words really coming out of my mouth right now. Your eyes are really looking at me. You see this? See this exchange? I see you. Sal, I see you. I see you. But what does it come down to? The heart, doesn't it? That's what matters. And so the angel looks at Ezekiel and says, get your eyes focused, get your ears focused, and get your heart focused, because what I'm about to tell you, you've got to go and tell Israel. And so that's what's about to happen. He's about to lay down the blueprints of the new temple. And it's a long one. (laughs) And I don't know if I'm going to read it all. I don't think I'm going to read all of it. That's why I gave you that paper, so we can kind of analyze it together, Okay. So get ready to listen. Declare all this that you see to the house of Israel, verse 5, and behold a wall on the outside of the house round about in the man's hand and measuring reed of six cubits long by the cubit and a hand breadth. So he measured the breadth of the building one reed and the height one reed. Basically, what he's just said there in verse five is that the wall surrounding was about 10 and a half feet high. Verse six, then came unto the gate, which looked towards the east and went up the stairs thereof and measured the threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad and the other threshold of the gate, which was one reed broad and every, see, we don't know how much a reed broad is. How long is that? Who knows? Who knows? It's just, it's remember the reed is the short one. It's a short stick, okay? It's a short one. Whatever the short stick was, we don't know. The lax is the tall one. Verse 7, and every little chamber was one reed long and one reed broad, and between the little chambers were five cubits, and the threshold of the gate by the porch of the gate within was one reed. The chambers that you see, pull up your paper there. You see the chambers in there? They say they're about 10 and a half feet by 10 and a half feet in space, okay? Now, these chambers were places that the temple guards will stay and where the priests will stay. Yeah, you're looking at a diagram of the new temple. Isn't that crazy? We got the blueprints. We got the blueprints for the future temple. Isn't that crazy? Go hang that up on your roll at home. Like, hey, Mom, see this right here? It's the blueprints. To what? The temple that's going to be built in Israel. Yeah, you're crazy, okay? You're crazy. You don't have the blueprints. Yeah, I do. Right here. It's true. And it's interesting to actually go back to 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7 and compare Solomon's temple, all of it's recorded there, how he built it, the measurements, all that he used, and to compare it to this passage, all the measurements and how it's used. This is Jesus' temple that we're looking at. That temple right there is going to be the king's temple. So, So take a good glimpse at it. How about uh, as we look at the uh, the temple there, Justin, can I see yours real quick? Is that all right? As we look at this, okay, you see that, um, which side do you want to enter in? Okay, which which side do you want to enter in? Uh, where do you want to come in when you meet the king? Which side are you going to come into? East, the east gate, yes, the east gate. And then you see that you walk in and there's the uh, the, it's the court, the outer court. Enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving and into his courts with what? Praise, yes. That's what you are to do. You're to enter in with thanksgiving and praise when you enter those doors. Okay. Then when you get in there, you see that in the inner court, there's the uh, altar there. You see that? That's where they sacrifice. That's where they throw the uh, the burnt. That's where they throw the cattle right there. They burn the thing up. They chop it up. They put it on there. And then right after that, in the uh, tabernacle in the old temple, there is a basin. It's not there in the diagram, but there's a basin where they would come and wash their hands, the priests. Okay. Then when you walk in, you see the, uh, the, the, holy place, you see that in the holy place. When you walk in to your right is the table of showbread. Yes. There's bread on the table there. Okay. To your left is what? The menorah, the menorah. So you're walking in to this place, table of showbread. The menorah is that giant candlestick with seven flames on it. Okay. Then right in front of you is the, the incense, the incense altar. Where they would burn the incense unto the Lord, and it's right before you see that. Uh, see the holy place. Then the next place you see, there's a curtain that actually right there, where that little space is between the holy place and the the most holy place, the holy of holies. There's a curtain there, and do you remember when Jesus died? There was a curtain that stood right there, and you remember it was ripped from what top to bottom? Yeah, top to bottom. That's where it, it happened, right there in the temple. And in the most holy place is what. The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Remember, that's what David and his boys uh, carried on their shoulders. Remember, that's what went through the Red Sea. That's what went through, um, I'm sorry, not through the Red Sea, through the Jordan River. And in there, do you know, anyone know what three things are in the Ark of the Covenant? Pop quiz. Ten Commandments, Rod of Aaron, and Manna. Yes, Manna. Manna. What does manna mean? What is it? What is it? That's what manna means. What is it? No one knows what it is. So they called it, What is it? That'd be amazing if that was your food. That's what you had. What are you having today? What is it? I'm having a double double. What are you having? What is it? But that is the temple. This is what it will look like, okay? And so there's your diagram. Again, the chambers there are the place where the the priests that will work in the temple for Jesus will stay. Oh, Lord, let me be one of those. And the temple guards that will stay there. Yes. Okay, I'm not going to read because it's just measurement after measurement after measurement. Verses 8 all the way to 37. Okay, we're going to start in 38. You ready? They're just measurement after measurement after measurement after measurement, and you'd just be angry with me if I did it, okay? I don't know what the application is. Maybe I just have no clue. I don't even know where to begin, but they're the measurements of the temple. And, hey, if you were a Jew in that day and Ezekiel was coming back, you would probably want to hear too, huh? This is what it's going to look like because they probably from – the oral communication they've had through tradition and through telling stories, they would know about the temple. It would be a part of their, their culture and their heritage. But we, I mean, we've never even seen a temple. We have no clue. So it doesn't mean much to us, but when we see that temple on that day, isn't it cool that we have the blueprints in our hands? We can look at it and be like, I remember when Josh was speaking about this thing, and I'm looking at it right now. That will be an incredible time. But look at verse 38. Verse 38 starts the sacrifice that's going to be taking place in the temple, in the future, in that day. Ezekiel is, again, having this vision. He's up on the mountain in Israel. Remember, the angel of the Lord is speaking to him, the one who looks like brass. He's speaking to him. Hey, with your eyes and your ears and your heart, stay focused. Listen to what I got to tell you to go and tell the people. He says this in verse 38. The chambers and the entries thereof were by the posts of the gates where they wash the burnt offering. Okay, so look at your little diagram there. The post of the gates, you see that? You see where the gates are at? Right past the inner court? That is where they will wash the burnt offering, okay? And then verse 39, in the porch of the gate were the two tables on this side and two tables on that side to slay thereon the burnt offering and the sin offering and the trespassing offering. So on both sides of the altar there, There will be two tables on both sides. Isn't that just weird to think? In the the temple, there are tables. Yeah, just tables. Maybe they're going to be folding tables. I don't know. Probably not. But there'll be tables that they will actually cut up the burnt offering, cut up the cattle, cut up the lamb, cut up whatever it is, the ram that they're offering up to the Lord. They will sacrifice in that day. Now think about that. Why sacrifice? Number one, what what was the whole purpose of sacrifice in the Old Testament anyways? What was the whole purpose of killing animals and burning them up before God? What was that all about? Let me tell you. Because you have sinned against God, God is holding the sin against you. And because there is sin, something must die. That's just the way God made it. He says, because you have sinned, you must, something must die because of it. And so he says, you will offer up offerings. You will kill an animal every single time you are rebellious against me. And so that's what he does. That's what he has him do in the Old Testament. Now let me walk you through it, what it would be like. Can you imagine having to bring an animal? Let's, let's just say, what if I told you, um, what if we were back in Old Testament times? I said, next week... All of you will bring an animal here. Um, You will bring, this section over here will bring dogs. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And this section over here will bring cats. You guys are wicked. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, cats, let them die. It's terrible. Terrible. Listen, listen. But think about that. What if I said you've got you to bring something because guess what? We are going to kill it and slaughter it. We are going to cut it up because you have done wrong. Because you messed up. Because you looked at porn. Because you said that about that person. Because you have hatred in your heart. Because you have been rebellious against God. Something will die because of what you've done amazing and what a difficult thing to do don't you think this isn't like just go 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 grab some dog off the street we're talking about taking your most prized possession we're talking about taking the lamb the most prized the best that you could bring no blemish in it it's a perfect pure bread you got to bring that and we're going to slaughter it because you have done wrong That's the way God said it had to happen. And so that's what they did year after year after year. They would sacrifice all the time. And then what happened? Messiah came. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was now what? The ultimate sacrifice, was he not? His throat was slit. He was chopped up. He was put on the altar. He was sacrificed to God for your sin for what you have done so that you can go free. So the question is, why would they start sacrificing again in the future? Right? We're all forgiven. Why would they start sacrificing again? Why would they go back to sacrificing in the temple? Here's the reason. Number one, people in that day, as they sacrifice, they will be reminded of what Jesus did. They will look into that temple and see those sacrifice and be forever reminded that Jesus Christ, our king, is the lamb. As they see the lamb slain right there on the altar, it will be a spectacle for the world to see. This is what happened. This is what the king did. Do you see the little, um, the places there right next to the altar? You see that there's, there's like two places there where, where it says a choir will sing or something like that? Do you see that on your diagram? Does it say that there, Liz, in the little box? What does it say? Chamber of Singers and Priests. Isn't that awesome? People will be singing and exalting, praising God while sacrifice is going on. Lifting up the Lord, helping us to remember what Christ has done. We take communion now, don't we? To remember Christ, yes. But in that day, there will be sacrifice every single day. And number two, I don't know how educated you are on the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ in the future. I don't have time to completely go into it, but listen, this thousand year reign, let me try to give you a quick, just let me try to give you this overview if I can. Sorry, a lot of information tonight. I know. I can't say this with complete authority, but I will tell you what I know. Okay. Okay. The next thing that is to happen in our lifetime that I know of, that I believe, which I think is that Jesus Christ, our King, is supposed to come back on the clouds like it could be tonight, you know? We walk outside and there he is, boom. And what does he do? He takes the people, his people off the earth. It's called the rapture of the church. That's what we believe the next thing on the calendar is. Number two, as we have balcony seating in heaven, looking down on earth, we will see Antichrist rise up. And he will create peace on this earth for three and a half years after we are taken off this earth. Three and a half years. Then again, he will rebuild the temple for the Jews. Then he will stand in that temple that he helped rebuild and he will claim to be God. And he will say, bow down to me. He will tell the whole world, you will have to submit to my authority. And you have to take the mark of me, of the beast, of the Antichrist. And if you don't have this mark on you, you cannot buy or sell anything. You will starve to death. And we will try and kill you, wipe you off the earth. And people, like say, if if we left right now and you were left here in this coffee shop, the only way you can get to heaven after that is by dying for your faith. You would have to die for Jesus Christ. It's going to be a crazy time. But after the first three and a half years, what I keep saying, three and a half years, that's, that's actually the time limit. Antichrist will stand up three and a half years. He'll claim to plead God. He will put all this suppression upon the Jews and upon the world. And then what will happen in the second three and a half years, a full seven year period, the second three and a half years, crazy wrath will pour out on this earth by God. At the end of the seven years, after we have left this earth, at the end of the seven years, this war called Armageddon will take place. And this is where we come back with Jesus Christ. We, his people, come back with him as he rides down on a white horse to this earth and and the It's crazy. The nations of the world will actually try and fight God. And he will wipe them off the face of the earth. It will be completely done. And when it is finished, when he has wiped it all out, Jesus will then establish his kingdom over there in Jerusalem. And he will build this temple that we've spoken about right now. And we will reign with him for 1,000 years here on this earth. And this is what will happen during those 1,000 years. It says that the lion will actually lay down with the lamb. Meaning that they're Animals won't fight. There will be no murder. There will be no bad here on this earth. You can rebel against Jesus, but he's right there in your face. The king will be on the earth. And you can rebel against him, but it's the most foolish thing you could ever do. You will know that there's sacrifice going on over in the temple. Why sacrifice? Why would they need sacrifice? Because think about it. In a thousand year time, that's a long time, huh? Like from... From one the the first from year one to a thousand or from a thousand a d to two thousand that's a thousand years that's a long time, huh? Our nation's only been around for what a couple hundred years? I mean, this is incredible that's a long amount of time, and the earth can repopulate in a thousand years now, can't it? and people will not be dying in that time either. they will be able to live because there won't be this sin, it will be peace and prosperity, and so what will happen is, hey. In 200, 300 years, how many kids can you have? Jeez. 400 years, how many kids could you have? Jeez. So the earth will be repopulated very quickly. But think about it. People who are born in that time of that thousand years, they won't know all that has happened before. They won't know what it means. What is sacrifice? What is, who is this Jesus? What are you talking about? He laid down his light. What does that mean? And so this sacrifice that will be taking place will be a testimony to all of them. That the only way sin can be taken away is that something must die. And the reason why this is done is because that one, the king in there that sits in there on the throne. Can you imagine? We'll be there in that time walking around talking to people here on this earth. Yeah, you know the king. It will be as real as you see me right now. You will see Jesus as real as you see me. We'll not be in the spiritual realm. We will be here on this actual earth. This one right here, Sips Coffee Shop might actually still be here. It's true. If it happened tonight, seven years from now, right, it would be here. Yeah. And then we would reign here for a thousand years. We'll come back over here, well, Bible study here, huh? And I'll invite the Lord to come over and teach us. Oh, that'd be awesome, Lord. But I say all that to bring you to that point to understand why sacrifice would be happening there in that temple in that time. There will be sacrifice happening in that day. I would encourage you as best as you can not to try to explain these things if you do not have an understanding of them. Because what will happen when you try to explain these things to people, they will think you are crazy. Because you're not interpreting the scriptures correctly. You're not able to back up what you're saying. So be careful. Just, hey, knowledge is like underwear. Huh? It's never to be seen, only to be worn. Uh Uh-huh. Never to be seen, only to be warned. Yes. Knowledge. You, pe- people don't need to see all your knowledge, how smart you are. Okay. That was terrible. I know. I, <laughs> dang it, man. Shouldn't have said that. Whew. Verse 40. And at the side without as one goeth up to enter into the north gate were two tables. On the other side, which was the porch of the gate, were two tables. Four tables were on this side and four tables on that side. And by the side of the gate, eight tables were upon. They slew the sacrifices. And the four tables were honed stone for burnt offerings and a cubit and a half long. A cubit is approximately 18 inches. And the measurement of a hand that they use is approximately three inches for you Bible scholars You students who want to do the calculations and figure out how big these things were. Um, It says in verse 42, the four tables were hewn stone. So they were actually stone for the burnt offering and a cubit and a half or 18 inches and half of that plus nine, which would be 27 inches long. Whereupon also they laid the instruments wherewith they slew the burnt offering and the sacrifice. It's not a beautiful thing to, slu- to kill something. I don't know if you've ever done it before, an animal of any type. I remember when I was in Israel, my buddy showed me a video of Yom Kippur. It's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So one day in Israel when they try and Jews actually try to sacrifice. And I watched this video of them sacrificing chickens. It's crazy. I wish I had the video at home. I wish I had a little screen right here. I'd show it to you. It is. You wouldn't be able to watch it. These chickens are just like going everywhere, you know, just trying to. And they pin these things down, hold their legs, and then they take the most sharp knife and they they slit the throat. They hang the chicken upside down and allow the blood just to pour. And it's supposed to be a picture, again, of sin being offered up and taken care of to the Lord. It's happening. And, uh, man, I, I was gonna, yeah, I'll tell it. <laughs> Want to hear a story? Yeah. Well, me and my buddies, when we first went hunting our first time ever. We had twenty twos. We were out there hunting away, and uh, with our little twenty-two, you know, rifles. It's, it's, that's like the smallest, you know, rifle you can buy. It's like these little, almost BB gun like rounds. Well, anyways, the rule was if you. If you killed a bird, you had to pop its head off. That was just the rule with the guys. And I ended up killing this little bird, man. I I don't know how that was just the one that was in my sight. And I remember when I because I, I gotta be a man, right, in front of the guys. Dumb. <laughs> I I tried to he's just like it's easy, man. You just you just pop you know, just I, I try and it didn't come off. It was like the most miserable thing I've ever done in my life. I'm telling you, you animal lovers, it's like, I hate you, Josh. I hate you. But I just remember thinking to myself, this is so disgusting, and I don't even know how I could go through with this. Again, ever, never. But thinking to myself to have to sacrifice an animal of any type would be miserable. And I can imagine even the priests having to do that over and over and over again. You know what I'm talking about? Over and over and over again. What a bummer. Because someone has done something wrong. Now listen, family. You've got to recognize what this means for us today, right now. Has Christ not laid down his life for us? Have you forgotten that Jesus has laid down his life for you today? Have you forgotten the blood of Christ that wipes away the sin? Who sets you free? Do not ever grow weary or cold of these truths. This should be your number one in your life till the day that you die. You should exalt this in your life every single day, day after day after day. Don't ever grow cold of killing an animal. Don't ever grow cold of sacrificing. Don't ever grow cold of seeing Jesus nailed to that cross. Don't ever allow it to happen. This is what happens when I sin. I fall on my face again and I say, Father, O wretched man that I am, look at me, Father. You have laid down, your son has laid down his life for me and here I am falling into this over and 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 killing and slaughtering, sacrificing over and over and over again. You've got to understand what Christ has done for you. You don't have to sacrifice, do you? When's the last time you killed an animal? Never. Because you don't have to sacrifice because one was sacrificed for you. You must understand that and be thankful for that. I read a song that says that. It says those lyrics. It says, I think you paid too much for me. I'm not the one that I should be for you. Lord, you gave me everything. Yeah, you hung there on that tree for me. What you desire, I do not give. The best I have is filthy rags for you. And I say, Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, I'm grateful for all that you've done. You've got to get your mind focused. On the cross and the things of Jesus Christ. Don't ever allow sacrifice to grow weary. There's one last point that I want to point out, and we will close. Look at verse 44. And without the inner gate were the chambers of the singers in the inner court, which was at the side of the north gate, and their prospect was towards the south one at one side of the east gate, having the prospect towards the north. Verse 45, And he said to me, Who? That man, that angel of the Lord said to me, This chamber whose prospect is toward the south is for the priests and the keepers of the charge of the house. Verse 46, And the chamber whose prospect is towards the north is for the priests, the keepers, the charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, among the sons of Levi, which come near to the Lord to minister unto them. Did you notice that? Look at verse 45 again. In the south is who? Priests, the keepers of the charge of the house. They take care of the people. They are the priests that minister to the people. But look at verse 46. To the north for the priests, the keepers of the charge of the altar, these are the sons of who? Zadok. And what do they do? They come near to the Lord to minister unto him. Isn't that awesome? Their sole role and purpose, the priests of Zadok, are to do what? To minister unto God. That's what they do. You can walk up to a priest of Zadok. there. When the temple is here in Jerusalem, on this earth, what's your role? My role is to minister to Jesus day and night. That's all I do is minister to God. Well, what do you do for the people? Nothing. All I do is minister to God. This is the most powerful point any one of you ministers could ever take home. Those of you who are called into ministry... Those of you who are called to minister, that's all of you. The first thing you are to do is to be a priest of Zadok. You are to minister unto God. This is important. You can never, listen, you can never listen, please. You will never be able to minister to people until you minister to God. Never. You think that you can minister to people, but you will get burnout. You think that you can keep running strong in your walk with Christ, but you will get burnout. You think that you can keep your eyes focused on the Lord and not get in the flesh, but you will get burnout, I tell you. How many pastors are trying so difficult to grow their church big? That's all they think about. That's all they want. We've got to get more numbers. we got to do this. And how many others when they just minister unto God, the place just booms. You may be wondering tonight why you haven't been able to minister to people in a powerful way. I tell you tonight, you have not been ministering to God. You've got to minister unto your king. You've got to become a priest of Zadok. What does it mean to minister to God, Josh? How does that work? What does it look like? Why don't you go sing a song to him? Why don't you go bless his socks off? Why don't you go love on him and speak to him and tell him how wonderful and awesome he is? Praise him. Adore him. Why don't you spend time with him? Why don't you make him king in your life? Why don't you bow before him for a half hour or so? If I was your king, how would you minister to me? What would you do for me? Whatever you would do, you should do greater for God. And you should be ministering unto Him every single day of your life. And if you do not, you will never be able to minister to the people. Never. I'm telling you the secret to ministry. You minister to God, and guess what will happen? Your family will do fine. You minister to God, and your church will grow. You minister to God and you'll be right in the place where God wants you to be. You minister to God first. You love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and soul. That is the first commandment. You do that and then you can start loving people. How about obeying his commands? Isn't that a great way to minister to God? Just obeying his commands. Being faithful to him. Minister unto your king day and night. Oh, how I desire to see a people who walks away tonight that says, you know what, I'm going home. When I, th- when I get in my car, I think I'm going to minister to the Lord. I'm not going to pop on secular radio and just waste away all that was dropped into my mind, brainwash myself with that for the rest of the night. I'm not down in secular music. Some stuff that you definitely shouldn't be listening to. But what I'm saying is you've washed your mind in such great things tonight. Why would you go and pollute it with others? Go away ministering to your God. Go away as a priest of Zadok, lifting him up and serving him the rest of this week. Go away looking for opportunity to minister to people only after you minister to God. You know what I have to do before I come and minister to you? I have to go bow before the Lord. I have to remember. I have to apply the blood to my life. Do you know what that means? As a priest does before he walks into the temple... He puts blood on the back of his ear. He puts blood on his finger from the sacrifice and he puts blood on his big toe. He puts blood on himself. Why? To help him to remember that it is the blood, only by the blood that he can minister to the people. It is only by the blood that I can minister to you tonight. It is only by his grace and his spirit and his anointing that you can receive from me tonight. It's not me. You wouldn't like me if you knew me. Because I know who I am. And I don't like it. We've got to minister unto the Lord. And then He can take losers like me and do powerful things in the eyes of the people. That's who we are. God wants to use you tonight. He wants to use you tomorrow. You need to become a priest of Zadok tonight so you can do that ministry. Let me pray and ask God to bless you. Father, I thank you for this group. And I thank you for the work you're doing in us, King. Gosh, you're such a gracious God. Do you know what we've done? Do you know what we've been? Do you know who we are? I know I'm not worth much. But I give you all that I am. I'm not the most faithful. But I'll try with all I can. Please help me, O Father. With you, I know I can. Empower me, Master. I want to show the world your hands. O God, as we minister to you, empower us by your Spirit. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness and help us to be a light to this dying world, to everyone who needs it. O God, be gracious to your people. Please, Father, hear the cries of our hearts. Hey, those of you who desire to be a priest of Zadok, and to have your soul ministry be unto God so that you can have the ability to minister unto people. Maybe you need to go minister to God for a week and stop ministering to the people. Maybe you need to be quiet before the Lord and just minister unto Him. If that's you tonight, I just want you to pray within your own heart as I pray for you. You just say, yes, Lord, that's me. Help me, Lord, please. Bow your heart before God tonight. Say, I'm fed up with my life. I want to walk towards the things of Jesus. Sick of wasting my time and my life. Lord, I pray for these that right now in their hearts are saying, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit new and afresh, that they would have a new song on their heart to sing to you, and that God, you would refresh them, please. Repent, therefore, that times of refreshing may come in the presence of the Lord. And God, that they would walk in newness of life from this moment on. Tonight they would go home ministering unto you, waking up ministering at their work, waking up ministering to the church, waking up ministering to their friends and family members, but first blessing you. So please be with us as we go, Father. Thank you for the work you've started. We're not leaving without you, King. So please use us to do great things for your glory, for your kingdom, for your majesty, for your namesake. We pray.